A presence I feel as I walk through these halls, looking and touching these massive stone walls, walls that are smooth and cold to the touch, walls of lost history of killings and such. In the dim light, a specter I feel, walking and stalking, oh yes, it is real. For this is a place where dead men are kept, a place where I as their keeper once crept, turning my head as repentant men wept. So look as you will as you pass through this space, for it is the tomb of our lost human race. Glance in a mirror as through life you race, so the specter I saw won't surprise you someplace, as the specter you see may be your own face. Hello? Welcome. This is Flames of the Two Cities. Oh, I'm so excited. Welcome to Tales of Two Cities. I'm Nikki, and this episode is on prisons. In 1822, Jefferson City had been designated the state capital of the newly admitted state of Missouri. The governor, John Miller, suggested the state construct the main prison there to help maintain the town's status as capital. The construction of the Missouri State Penitentiary began when James Dunica, a master stonesman who'd built the Capitol building in Jefferson City, was appointed to oversee the construction of the prison. The facility opened in March of 1836. In the early years, prisoners were employed making bricks. There was only one guard, one warden, a foreman overseeing the brick making, and a total of 15 prisoners. 11 of those 15 were from St. Louis. Most, all except for one, were in for larceny. The other man was imprisoned for stabbing a man during a drunken fight. With the success of the small prison's brick making in 1868, A Hall, also known as Housing Unit A, was constructed of stone quarried on site, built mainly by inmates. The prison is known for many famous inmates, such as Charles Arthur Pretty Boy Floyd, who served time for robbery, or Charles Sonny Liston, who was incarcerated on a number of charges, including robbery. He spent his time in prison learning to box, and was paroled in 1953. He went on to win the heavyweight championship in 1963. But in 1960, James Earl Ray was admitted to the penitentiary. On April 23, 1967, Ray, also known as prisoner number 00416J, escaped from the prison in a bread box that was supposed to carry only loaves of bread that were being transported from the Missouri State Penitentiary to Wren's prison. Somewhere in the process, Ray escaped. He was later convicted of the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. in 1968. The prison was no stranger to riots. In 1930, more than 750 prisoners refused grilled meat for dinner. They demanded an Irish stew. The men refused to leave the dining hall. They were eventually dispersed to their cells by the governor, but not before demanding better food and working conditions. Some prisoners had been organizing to set fire to the prison factory as part of their riot with a hope to escape. But it's the 1954 riot that's most remembered. On September 22nd, two inmates faked an illness to attract two guards. They ambushed the guards and took their keys. The men ran down the cell block, releasing other inmates. The Missouri State Highway Patrol, 
Missouri National Guard, and local police departments were called to help. When it was all over, four men had died, 29 were injured, and one attempted suicide. But the damage was not just to prisoners. Four guards were seriously injured, several buildings were burned, and damage was estimated to be $5 million. That's almost $47 million today. The damage to the buildings remained visible for the next decade. The Missouri State Penitentiary is known for many things. Famous inmates such as Sonny Liston, the first female correctional officer for a male facility, Lillian Bonds, who was appointed in 1974, and attempted escapes such as that of Shannon Phillips and Christopher Sims, who fled after killing inmate Toby Wiles. Phillips and Sims were found in a room that was concealed from the corrections staff, waiting to escape. But these aren't what the Missouri State Penitentiary is best known for. Many know it as the bloodiest 47 acres in America, and in turn, one of the most haunted places in the country. The penitentiary is known for the shocking amount of violence within its walls. It housed 5,200 inmates at its peak. These inmates were violent, including gangsters, boxers, and assassins. Before closing in 2004, the prison was the oldest continually operating penitentiary west of the Mississippi River. It was Time Magazine that dubbed it the bloodiest 47 acres in America, which was a second nickname because it had already been known as The Walls. From 1938 to 1965, 39 prisoners were executed in the gas chambers on the grounds. On January 6, 1989, George Tiny Mercer was executed by lethal injection in the disused gas chamber, the first in the nation and the last execution at Missouri State Penitentiary. Prior to 1989, the state of Missouri's male death row was located at the Missouri State Penitentiary. Death row inmates were housed in a below-ground area, isolated from other inmates. These inmates were not allowed to leave their death row facility. It was a sort of isolation. All services were brought to them, and they were allowed only one hour of exercise per day in a fenced area near the death row facility. Missouri Department of Corrections said, quote, as with other states using prison facilities constructed before the turn of the 20th century, conditions at Missouri State Penitentiary were less than favorable for both death row inmates and staff. In 1991, the name Missouri State Penitentiary was changed to Jefferson City Correctional Center, but in 2003, the name was changed back to avoid confusion between the old prison and the new one that was being built. The Missouri State Penitentiary was closed on September 15, 2004, when the new facility, the Jefferson City Correctional Center, opened. Today, the old prison is open for tours. Of course, a place with such history has its fair share of hauntings. One night, a guard is locking the doors, passing through the control center to secure the outer doors. But as she turns back to the same space she had just passed through, every single door is thrown open. Some have claimed to see a spirit called Fast Jack. He wears a white lab coat and carries a clipboard, leading some to believe that he was one of the men who worked in the radiology department at the prison. He pops into halls and disappears into thin air. Voices are often heard in the empty halls of cells, where shadowy figures move quickly into dark corners. 
The large bricks are imposing, and the gas chamber doesn't exactly put visitors at ease. While the complex has many buildings, there are two that seem to have the most mentions of paranormal activity. The oldest building, A Hall, and of course, Death Row. A Hall is lined floor to ceiling with cells. The massive stone building has catwalks running across its width. This is where you'll find 10 underground cells, referred to as the hole. It's absent of fresh air and daylight. It's where the worst prisoners were housed. Stories tell of times when people were cramped 15 in a cell. Some were said to have gone mad in the darkness, slipping quickly to death in the hostile conditions. Death Row is similarly bleak. Many of the prisoners housed here were troublemakers. They sometimes suffered from mental health issues and were often drugged, lending them the nickname bobbleheads as they were so high they couldn't keep their heads straight. It was common to pump unruly prisoners with Thorazine before putting them in the basement cells. Here, they were packed only four or five to a cell, but lived in extreme neglect. Some visitors still make mention of the overwhelming smell of body odor years after the last prisoners were in the space. But one of the most bone-chilling stories comes from cell 48. A visitor to the prison, while on tour, snapped a photo of the cell in A Hall. Cell 48 was where a brutal murder took place during one of many riots. This cell housed a prisoner known as a snitch. During the chaos of the riot, disgruntled inmates found the man and bludgeoned him to death with the same sledgehammer that they used to break into his cell. When the visitor snapped the picture, she thought nothing of it, simply capturing a moment in the prison. But when she returned home and looked back at her photo, she noticed more than just her friend. A distorted human figure was standing next to her. Others have reported feeling heavier in the cell. Dana Matthews reported feeling like there was a shift in gravity on their visit to cell 48. So, you might be wondering, what happened with the name Bloodiest 48 Acres in America? What would make Time Magazine dub this place a horrifying moniker such as the bloodiest? I wondered too, but no matter how hard I searched, I couldn't find an answer. I looked through Time Magazine archives looking for the original story. I googled for nearly an hour. Mostly I found tours of the prison. I truly wanted to know, really desperately, what warranted this name. I thought that it would be a single event or perhaps a practice of, say, execution or murder. But then it hit me. It's not a single event, but the culmination of all of them. This prison housed many, many criminals, some who were violent. There were riots, murderers and assassins, and they were housed in damp, dark conditions, sometimes in inhumane holes. This place was an end for many people a place without hope. And while there isn't an overwhelming amount of blood, there is a lot of sadness and despair. Death in every sense of the word. There was nothing to do but scream for God to open those damn doors. And when the doors didn't open, all that was left was to stand still and let the fire burn the meat off and hope it wouldn't be too long about it. On April 21st, 1930, a fire broke out. As the flames blazed and people screamed, panic rose. People were running all over, 
fighting to stay alive. There was only one problem, though. They left some people behind. They left behind the prisoners. A major fire killed 322 inmates and hospitalized another 230 in what was one of the deadliest fires in North American history. The fire started when a candle ignited oily rags on the roof of the prison's six-story west block east of Newell Avenue on the western edge of the prison. Reports say that many guards refused to unlock cells when smoke entered the cell block and left prisoners in their cells, although some did try to help. Some inmates overpowered a guard and took his keys, which they used to rescue the other prisoners. However, a riot developed, and firefighters arriving to fight the blaze were attacked with rocks. The Ohio Penitentiary, operated from 1834 to 1984 in Columbus, Ohio, is what is now known as the Area District. The prison initially was tiny, and when it operated in 1834, it wasn't even completed. When it first opened, the first inmates marched across the river from the original log-built prison. It is even noted that the rest of the construction of the prison was made by prisoners, and ironic message of the prisoner's fate. It housed 5,235 prisoners at its peak in 1955, but it was only available to accommodate 1,500. During its operation, it housed several well-known inmates, including General John H. Morgan, who famously escaped the prison during the Civil War, Bugs Moran, the mobster, O. Henry, the famous author, think Gift of the Magi, Chester Himes, the writer, James Brown, the murderer who drank a shipmate's blood, and Sam Shepard, whose story is said to have inspired the movie The Fugitive. The prison was considered a tourist gold mine and proudly advertised for the town of Columbus. They even had tours, a morbid way of looking at a human zoo. In 1908, it was advertised by H.M. Fogel as the world's largest prison. However, largest doesn't mean best. Overcrowding was a problem from the start, and disease became rampant. Rats and insects were everywhere. It got so bad that in 1849, a cholera epidemic happened, killing 21 people. Since they were prisoners, and since it was contained, not much cared. In 1885, the penitentiary became the site for executions, which had been carried out by local law enforcement officials up to that time. Both men and women were executed between 1897 and 1963, when the death penalty was halted in Ohio. These executions were considered a festive event. There would be festivities from people selling crafts to making food, to kids playing and singing. Pamphlets were scattered depicting the schedule events of the executions. Even though it happened during the times of the hanging execution season, it's still morbid. Like I said before, the prison experienced lots of chaos. After the fire, officials later alleged that three prisoners intentionally started the fire as part of an escape attempt. Two of the accused inmates committed suicide in the months after the event, though historians have disputed this alleging, believing that it was just faulty management. The prison was also the site of, quote, Halloween riots, end quote, on October 31st, 1952, which left one inmate dead and four injured. 
as well as the riot of August 1968, which ended with five dead inmates, five injured inmates, and seven injured officials. It was even the home for inhumane experiments. In the 1950s, a prominent virologist named Chester M. Southam injected inmates at the Ohio State Penitentiary with H-E-L-A cells in order to observe if people could be made immune to cancer. He compared the results of this experiment to an experiment in which he injected cancer cells into cancer patients and observed if the prison subjects fought off the cancer faster than the subjects who had cancer. Obviously, there were some complaints. After the closure of the Ohio Penitentiary in 1984, the building stood vacant for more than a decade. Though it was used as the training site of the time by the Ohio National Guard and was briefly known as the Demon Pen for Halloween festivities and attracted a number of urban explorers, the state eventually sold the property and building to the city of Columbus for development purposes in 1995. The former penitentiary site now sits within the area district with Burnham Square condominiums, McPherson Commons Park, and several office buildings in the parking garages now standing on the site. Now, when it comes to hauntings, many believe that the ghosts are still perpetually stuck in that torturous loop of that grisly fire. Some have noted to have heard screams while standing in the land that would be considered the outside of the prison. Even the residents of the now condominium, which was once the location where a large part of prisoners perished, have noted to have been kept up by incessant screams. Others have heard roaring flames. Some have seen figures in the now parking lot of the bulldozed land, and others have noted to have seen, well, let's just say strange movement in their peripheral. For the people that don't believe in the idea of ghosts, they agree that there is an energy around them and it seems fairly heavy. Thank you for listening. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe on the platform of your choice. We're on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, and YouTube. We appreciate each of you and love hearing from you guys. You can reach out to us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or email us at tales of the number two cities podcast at gmail.com. We're also a .com now, so check out our new website, tales of the number two cities podcast.com. You'll find links to our T Public merch shop and our Patreon page. If you haven't yet, grab some swag in our T Public shop by searching Tales of Two Cities Podcast at tpublic.com. That's T E E P U B L I C.com. And don't forget our Patreon. A huge shout out to our current patrons, Avery and Travis. Thank you for your pledges. Head to our Patreon page to pledge whatever you can afford. We have various levels of pledge, including an option for a one time pledge. We appreciate all of the support. Until next time.